We can give you digital friendship. So yeah. like we, we can send our psychic DNA <laughs> through the airwaves. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenicast, the weekly podcast dedicated to conversations on faith and culture. We are your hosts. I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. And I'm Alan. Welcome once again this week. Uh, before we get into our conversation, I just want to let everyone know that over the next couple weeks, we're going to be trying some new recording methods. So uh, bear with us if the volume or quality or anything changes. We're, we're working on making this a better show for you. So we appreciate your patience. Although every single day. Yes, exactly. We make better. We do. We work. We we actually do. Like this has been Jeff Jeff does. <laughs> <laughs> he does all of our good work, all of it. It's true. Jeff definitely does a lot, for sure. Yes, maybe. I don't know. I don't I don't do compliments well. So thank you, I guess. <laughs> we could have we could have a whole episode on Take our love. Take it. It's hard. It's hard for me too to receive compliments. You know what I've you know what I've learned to do? I've learned to say thank you. And just thanks. You know, and just sit there. Kind of nice. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so today's conversation, we are going to be talking about loneliness, which I think is appropriate considering the holidays. It seems to be an issue. I mean, we have higher propensities of people struggling with depression during this time because it seems to be about connection and family. And there's there's a lot of people out there without either of those things. So we are going to be talking about that. And then after our conversation, we are going to be doing a new segment called Mind Meld, which I'm a little nervous about considering my history with not understanding the rules of certain games. And you can experience that in all its glory on episode number. Oh, Jeff. <laughs> uh, so... Yes. So loneliness. Let's let's get into it. Are, are you too lonely right now? A little bit. I mean, I don't know. Is there like a barometer where you're like... There is actually. <laughs> there is. Like a, you could look at your finger and it says, right now you feel lonely. It's called a well, mood actually, ring, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they do have this new thing that it's kind of like a Fitbit, but for your emotions, it regulates your breathing and it can tell you, like it'll send a thing to your phone saying, hey, you're anxious right now. Stop and breathe. Um, that would stress me the crap out. I would be like, <laughs> just having it. Oh around. my gosh, I'm anxious right now, and then it would send me in a spiral of depression about being depressed. That oh well, then happen. don't get that thing. <laughs> but um, I've done a lot of thinking about this lately because I've been really lonely the last couple of months. I mean, I have really great social outlets like this program with you guys, but it's. I realize even in saying that, it's super taboo to even admit that. It feels like I'm saying I'm a weak person. And so I've been taking a lot of, I've been doing a lot of work like in therapy, but even in my friend groups to just be like, you know what, I'm not doing so well. And just, you know, asking for help and advice and even the experience of admitting that it's actually really helpful against loneliness because it makes you feel more connected and vulnerable and intimate with people. So it's a, kind of an interesting thing that like the one of the steps to not being lonely is to admit you're lonely, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's like the psychological process of externalizing something. When you're dealing with something that's hard or is affecting you, to be able to talk about it is to be able to say that's not necessarily me. You know what I mean? I'm dealing with loneliness. Loneliness is not my identity. It's not who I am. So that helps a lot. I think it's really interesting. Like why why is it taboo? Why do people not admit that they're lonely because they don't want to look weak. Is it because everybody else is struggling with like intimacy issues and 
The moment you see someone who's admitting they're weak, they might need you more and you don't have any more to give because you don't, you don't have anybody else like giving to you and connecting with you. That's really interesting to me. It could be a lot of things. Taboo. I always think back to Aristotelian self-mastery. <laughs> <laughs> do you? <laughs> I do. I actually do. So we have this really old thousands, thousands year old tradition of seeing ourselves as like the higher mind, the rational mind um, in a sexist way, the male mind, masculine part of us has a self-master, self-sufficiency, you know, that we are, we're not ruled by our emotions. We're not connected as much to our passions, but we can rise above those things. And actually this is really supported by psychological research that shows that men have a more difficult time admitting that they're lonely because there's something in our concepts of personal strength that sees that as pretty weak, even though we're taught to be really self-sufficient emotionally. Like self-sufficiency is seen as a, a sign of of strength and not needing anybody, right? Like lace, like lace your, uh, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of thing, right? Nobody's going to do something for you. you. You need to be able to do it for yourself. And I think there's like a, there's an element of truth to that to being lonely and living in a way that you develop as a person when you need to take care of yourself. It only gets unhealthy when admitting you're lonely is taboo, I think. <laughs> right? Like, Well, I mean, it's difficult because there are some psychological and mental health issues that involve people like becoming a too attached to others. And I think we have a really strong social fear of, of, needy people who will drain us of our energy. And I think that's what you're saying earlier, right, Alan? But we do, I think in our American cultural identities, we have, we do have an idea that we should be self-sufficient, like in so many ways that we don't take the time to recognize a healthy needing of each other. Um, and I'll, and I'll give an example. Before um, you move on, I just, you just said, uh, like, there's this fear that, you know, really needy people are going to drain us um, and like latch onto us. I just went to a book club where we discussed a Kurt Vonnegut book called God bless you, Mr. Rosewater. And that was like the topic was that there was this rich person who just said to a town, like come to me if you need anything for money or for advice or need someone to talk on the phone. And so there's all these needy people who kept coming to him. And his experiment was that people, any human being can use, like an insane amount of uncritical love. We all can use uncritical love from other people. And so what happens in a society is when we're all lacking uncritical love from our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers, like when we find someone who offers that, sometimes we bleed them dry, right? <laughs> and like put them up on a cross or something because they're, they are the ones that we see that we need that from. They remind us of our need and they remind us of like how harsh society is, is that how many people do, do we know in our lives that are just willing to love us and be intimate with us without like judging whether our needs are appropriate or not, you know? And a little bit, we mentioned it earlier. It's a, it's a two way street. If someone was offering that my personality type, I don't know if I'd always take it, even if I wanted to, like, I, I don't know what it is. Like I'm, I'm a reserved person in general, uh, as far as like who I tell things about what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. And there has to be, for me, there has to be like a long history of trust before I get to a place where I'm like, yeah, I'll take you up on that. Let's go, let's go chat. You know what I mean? So I think part of it is too, is that for certain personality types like myself, loneliness is a little bit self-inflicted. 
in the sense that we don't always take opportunities to it's a defense mechanism for you uh well without getting into my psychological history <laughs> is that uh, what we're doing on this episode well, it, that must may well maybe what it ends up being but uh well for me it has a lot to do with certain family things and and how i was raised and different uh i'm having air quotes in the air values that i've uh been instilled with as far as like privacy and all that kind of stuff but <laughs> aside from all that i think it's just you know there's there's a vulnerability to that like it's it's vulnerable being lonely and then it's even more vulnerable admitting that you're lonely like you were talking about earlier mona like that ugh, like i don't know how why would i want to say that because i remember feeling I, i'd never really felt lonely during the holidays until a couple years ago when at the the previous church that i was a youth pastor at we had this convention that happened every thanksgiving weekend where we like we'd have thanksgiving and then wake up really early, take a bus and go down to Southern California for the weekend and have this big convention where there's all these people. And, and I was in youth pastor mode, you know, handling, putting out this fire, hanging out with this student, you know, just having a good time. And it was tiring, but it was great. But then that first year I was excited about not having that. And it was a great first year because, you know, my wife had the week, the weekend off for work, Alan, you and you and your wife were up and uh, we were, we were having a good time. And then the following year, I had a quick Thanksgiving dinner and my wife didn't get that time off of work. And then I went from like, I eased into this place where for the whole Thanksgiving weekend, it was just me. And I was just, wow, I, I don't know what to, what to do. And I found myself just feeling extremely lonely and sad. It just like, I'm just going to drown my sorrows in some donuts and Minecraft. You know what I mean? (laughs) It was just, it was, it was, it was this very strange thing. And I wasn't at a place where I was like, and it was especially the holidays because I feel like, well, if I if I push myself, which sometimes I'm able to do more and more as I kind of get through, but if I push myself to call someone and hang out, I, I resisted that urge because it was the holidays because I didn't want to impose on whatever anyone else was having. So it was this really, it was a really weird, like foreign place to be for me. Yeah, if you haven't experienced loneliness a lot in your life and then all of a sudden you experience a lot of it, it can be really disorienting. And, you know, I want to talk about just the health risks or like what it, what's involved with experiencing loneliness. And then also the fact that there's actually two types of loneliness or isolation that contribute to these things. Before we yeah. get into some of the technical things, I just, sure. just to kind of bounce off that to kind of keep with that, that story. I wonder if it wasn't that I had always had that propensity to be lonely and I just found ways on a consistent basis to distract myself from it. That's what it sounded like to me is that sometimes, especially in leadership, like I was talking to you before that transition happened and it's easy not to feel lonely when there's so many people around you and you've got so much activity going on. And there's actually people who argue like Sherry Turkle from MIT that technology and social media contributes to our loneliness because it it's like this uh, surrogate for intimacy that um, we feel like we're connected with all these people, but it's not doing for us what relationships once did. So I think being distracted, yeah, I don't have to feel what I'm actually feeling. Um, well, and not only like- that, but for me during that particular time, I was in a, a church and career context where I had been changing and I already felt lonely in my political views, in my theological views, and really no avenue. It was like I was this other person that no one else could really know about for fear of everything that was going on. So I was feeling more and more isolated in all these other different ways. And it was kind of this progression that I maybe I didn't realize was happening at the moment, but I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of avenues so, we can explore, but 
There's social, there's social isolation and emotional isolation. Psychologists distinguish between the two. So for example, what you were just saying, Jeff, what the, the idea of feeling like disconnected, like from ideology, from other people, like through ideologies or things like that, like you're, it, there's a lot of, ba- tribe, there's right? barriers there. Yeah. There's barriers between you, you and other people. And then there's a different kind of emotional loneliness where you can be surrounded by great people, but you still feel disconnected emotionally from them. So, and sometimes you can experience both and they bleed together, you know? Mm, yeah. So is, is one more dangerous than the other? Well, I think it depends on who you are and where you are. Um, I was finding some data that like your age and your gender will make a big difference in how you see yourself as lonely, whether you're able to admit that you're lonely and what you might do about it. It seems to me, this is totally anecdotal, not based on any sort of research, but it seems to me that um, social loneliness is a little bit more dangerous because being actually physically disconnected from people like removes any possibility of actually connecting and having emotionally meaningful things. But I don't know. Emotionally loneliness is all like, we, I think every person has been in like a room full of people that they like and that they, and, and the experience is still feeling lonely and empty in the midst of that feels really awful, really awful. So I don't know what, what would be worse. I think probably what would be worse is like what unfortunately is really a, often it's distinguishing characteristic of elderly people is that they're actually f- cut off from others like they actually don't have anyone to talk to or be around and that can be that can be extremely debilitating so the uh, physical and mental stress the distress the anxiety the stress can be really toxic for any kind of loneliness at any age you're at it can increase your propensity to self-harm it can increase your anger toward other people um, it can reduce your quality of social interaction it can reduce your ability to sleep which messes up your uh, chemical and hormonal imbalances. So it can, it can just send you into a slow downward spiral that gets harder and harder and harder to get out of. I think, I think pointing out the age thing is really important. We talk about um, demographics that are at risk for like health issues. We talk about, you know, uh, children and elderly people when they're exposed to an environmental factor, it, affects them greater than it would, you know, the rest of the population. So be careful when you're, when it comes to loneliness, I think that's true too. I think that, um, especially in the older community, it's one thing to just kind of say like, there are people who don't have anybody, but like as a minister who goes and visits people who are like bed bound and have not seen anyone for like years, that's, that's a reality that so many people face. And the question is like, as a society, are we able to still connect with people who have lost, quote unquote, all usefulness to us? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Is there something about humanity that's bigger than just whether we can help each other or, you know, do something for the economy or this or that? Because there are so many people in our country who are just like tragically lonely. If you want to talk about it as a health risk, it's like an epidemic for some of the older communities that we have. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's bad for their health. And I think it's bad for ours. You know, it's interesting um, that you say the usefulness thing in particular. I've been doing some research and some writing in the work of Adam Smith, the founder of modern capitalism in like the late 18, uh, 1700s. And he actually writes that like wealth brings sympathy and fellow feeling and love from other people. So even yes. though he was like really staunch Calvinist, he couldn't come out and say, well, wealth is like inherently godly. But he, he did say that like when you're wealthier, you have something to contribute to society. People f- 
think about you more kindly and you experience like the love of God in your life more versus being poor and not having a, I guess he didn't say usefulness, but I, that's how you can interpret it. That's a, yeah. It, well, being being poor like makes you hidden and isolated and not thought of. So it's better to be wealthy and have a usefulness because you'll have more. He actually uses the phrase fellow feeling. Other people will feel and treat you more kindly. So that's awful, right? Like, yeah, way- that, it's so <laughs> weird that that's like theologically goes against everything that I've been taught and what I believe. It's not very religion. biblical, actually. It's not. No. It's not like it's not Christian even remotely. But it, it's sad to say, though, that's true. It, but the, it's true. But like, it's true. Not, not to get do, not to get too off topic, but it's sort of a self fulfilling prophecy. It's true right. if you adopt yeah, a capitalistic it society. It has like, become you're right. true. You're right. It has become true. Yeah. Yes. So that is, that's, that's what I meant. Well, and, and I think there's a lot of, um, going back to the, the conversation around the elderly, I've done a little bit of visiting too, like through different groups and stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, I think misunderstanding of what the experience of being elderly might be like, not that I know personally, but just like, you know, all there, there's some horrible stereotypes about elderly people that, you know, there, there's smells and, and conversations patterns that are too, that are untenable. You know, like there's there's different sensory experiences when you go to a assisted living home or you work with elderly people that are just not desirable and therefore people tend to stay away. But if you understand that someone is physically incapacitated to the extent that it's difficult for them to bathe at a regular basis or they might not have money to buy new clothes or wash their clothes as often, you know, like I, I know I'm, I'm going to a, a really extreme stereotype, but I think without seeking understanding, we allow those little things to keep us away from connecting with others who are who do need friends in this day you know yeah because because it is it is work like on our end yeah like and i think that work. that's the people willing to put the work in because whether it's someone who's elderly who requires a lot of care or whether it's just someone who is socially awkward or doesn't have a certain amount of social skills and does like like we talked about a little bit before that does like suck away every moment of your attention and energy and strength that you have like and especially I think especially during the holidays, during the, a, the time like this, when we're already putting all this effort into, you know, cooking and decorating and planning and shopping and all that kind of stuff. And then on top of that, having to feel like, you know, not to say that we shouldn't do it, but but that's why I think that the important of community and connection is that it seems like it, it, it gets put on the, the shoulders of one person. And then that drains their energy and then it kind of is this effect as opposed to more of like a, a communal effort in, in creating connection yeah I, I think it boils down to priorities for me as far as if you're going to look at it from the community standpoint like the experience of putting up a tree or of having a happy christmas like we're all going to have a happy christmas is more important than the intimacy that's being built between individuals in the community yeah like now of course it's a balancing act of course someone has to clean of course someone has to do this people have to contribute and there's things to do other than just building intimacy between us but like I feel like people are devalued. I feel like people have been objectified and in our lives, the reason, you know, this small thing, like you said, some sort of factor when we go visit an assisted living home keeps us away is that we're actually looking for something small to turn us away because it's like, Mm. it's, it's hard. We are objectified and it's hard to step out of that and to stop objectifying other people because it can be draining at first. But in my experience, when, when you seek consciously to build intimacy with other people, and maybe this is just my personality as someone who's refreshed 
by extroversion. Like when you when you seek to build intimacy, it's healthy for yourself. Like if you're, I I don't know what uh, religious figure said this. Maybe you can help me out. But like when you take care of other people, you're really taking care of yourself. I I do believe that. I do believe there's an element of truth in that that uh, that thought. Yeah. So I want to offer a um, mental picture that my therapist gave me. So I'll give them credit. We were talking about being a, feel, the experience of feeling emotionally isolated and feeling kind of constantly hungry. Like we put it in terms of hunger. She put it in terms of hunger that when you've gone for long periods of time without feeling fulfilled by your social interactions, you meet people who want to start connecting with you and they're just giving you single grapes to subsist on, right? And it might be totally appropriate for them in that time and the where your relationship's at to be giving you single grapes, you know, like building up to more meaningful types of connection. But when you've been starving for so long, like it's actually, <laughs> it incites, a, it can incite a physical kind of anger. Like I'm so hungry. I don't want just grapes with you. I want something more, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, take that as yeah. well. But, yeah. but so it's, it's hard not to get mad at that person or to glom onto them and be like, feed me, you know, cause I'm so hungry for connection. And so I've been working, <laughs> I've been working on that personally. Like when I, when I feel myself getting anxious around social interactions to be like, okay, it's not this person's fault that I've been really hungry. That's good. I have to learn the process of getting to know someone, building trust, kind of like you said, yeah. Jeff, building trust, building intimacy, building connection, but all of that takes time. And when you do meet somebody like you said, Alan, that wants to give you like basically the equivalent of more like steak and potatoes kind of love and attention. It's really hard not to be like, Oh my God, I'm totally and completely in love with you. You yeah, know, for, no, for sure. And it's that's true. not appropriate in it's a lot not. of cases. Mm-hmm. Like this is why a lot of people fall in love with their therapists or in love yep. with their ministers or in love with their doctors or in love with their caregivers. Cause someone finally comes along and gives them the care that they've been longing for, for years. And you just can't help, but emotionally respond to that. Yeah. Because we and, can't not feel lonely. We have to. It just sucks. Like you just, you can't choose to not feel that way. It just is part of the human experience. Yeah, it is. And, and a, you know, a good human life is not one that's immune to loneliness. Like a, the good life is one that has healthy ways of coping with loneliness, healthy ways of moving out of loneliness. You know what I mean? It, if you feel lonely, it's nothing that you're doing wrong. It's not, we talked about this before uh, recording this episode, but I feel personally as if my faith background has told us if you feel lonely, it's because you don't like love God enough. Or oh, yeah. You're not enough or you're not, you know, helping others enough. And th- that last thing, that's actually kind of true. I, I, I found a cure for loneliness is actually like serving and helping other people. But it's not just something you can choose, like you said, Mona, to turn off. And it's not something you're doing necessarily wrong. It's a part of the human condition. And it's something that we have to come to grips with. And begin to work on in a healthy way. And that's what I hear you saying yeah. with your therapist. That's really good. Man, it's taking me a long time to get there, you guys. I'm pretty proud of myself right now. Yeah, I would be too. <laughs> should be. That's, that's wonderful. Well, and you know, I, 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 the reason I say that is because I've been in a situation where I meet somebody I really like. And it's like, I'm not going to screw this up. I'm not going to ask for more grapes when they only have one to give at the moment. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. When am I going to call them? I'm not going to, you know... What what level of intimacy are we at? I think in all of my relationships, figuring that out is hard, right? Because 
two different people have different needs. And especially when you're married and you find friends and stuff, that's like four different people. If you have a married couple and then, you know, you're, you're trying to navigate intimacy at larger and larger contexts, it gets more and more difficult. There was um there was a meme that I found on I don't know I follow someone on Instagram but the, I, I this totally goes along with what you're saying stage one of friendship I think this is from Reddit somewhere stage one of friendship what's up I really like you so much stage two of friendship oh God I hope I'm not being too clingy or bothering them stage three of friendship hey answer my calls you jerk. Stage four of friendship. I'm outside your house and I'm coming in. Stage five of friendship. I'm already in your house. When are you coming home? Stage six of friendship. I'm having dinner with your parents. Are you going to join us? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And finding out what, which one. Yeah. Finding out which level you're on is always a, an anxiety ridden thing. It is. Yeah. Well, until you get to a certain point of comfort and you can be like, you know, I, but I think we all desire that friend that we can be like, Hey, I'm cooking pizza. Want to come over and be stupid and wear our pajamas? You know, like that people seek comfort and you can see this in how there are actually supposedly secret signs of loneliness. For example, you're losing sleep. You take long, hot showers. You eat more. um, You spend more time on social media. You're in love with stuff. You blow things out of proportion. There are signs that you're seeking like. Stop describing me. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I don't like that. You, I don't like this. This is not really. I'm, I'm super Lona. uncomfortable as well. Yeah, that, no. those are all things that. Uh, well, uh, but think about it though. If you're if you have kind of a sense of emptiness, you're going to seek to get comfort somewhere. Yeah. If you're not getting comfort in your social interactions, so taking a long hot shower makes like a subconscious level of sense, right? Because you're trying to feel comfortable when you've felt slightly uncomfortable. So, okay, since you guys are both getting uncomfortable and you both happen to be male, I just want to say <laughs> that in psychological tests, when they ask women and men point blank, hey, are you lonely? Women are more likely to say yes. Men are less likely to say yes. But if they ask women and men to take an indirect test that has six questions, this is called the Dejong Gierveld Loneliness Scale for emotional and social loneliness, then men and women equal out. So when men are asked indirectly if they're lonely, they tend to say yes because all humans get lonely and that's more normal. So you guys are prone, socially, sociologically conditioned to not admit that you're lonely. Well, I'm see, sorry to say. I'm, I'm, already, I'm already uncomfortable. So maybe we, do you have those questions in front of you? Yeah. Can, let's do it. Yeah. Let's, okay, let's, let's just, do it. Let's just jump in. <laughs> I'm, right. I'm I'm ready to go. You guys are you're being so brave today. I've I'm had so my food and hot shower and bought okay. my technology. Well, so it, <laughs> I'm ready to go. We're going to do this and then you can test yourself. This later. is the short form. There's a longer form of this, but these are the six questions that you can boil it down to. One, I experience a general sense of emptiness. Yes or no? Do you, are you guys going to admit it? Or are you just going to say it to yourselves? Uh, I'll admit it. It's just a hard Hey, because I'm a man, I don't know what I feel. Well, let, let's let's <laughs> well, let's when we say general sense, that means the majority general of the time. General sense of emptiness. General sense of emptiness. Yeah, the question is: is, is it a majority of the time? Because on a scale of like, you're one overthinking to 10, it, man. Just yes or no. But that that's my probably no. For Wait, me. Alan okay. is overthinking something? No. That's, <laughs> I would give that question a two on a scale of ten. I would say like fifteen. So probably of the time. No. Below five is then no. Okay. 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 Then I'll I'll well, say no if it's below. Yeah. Okay. No. All right. I'll say no, but I do experience that, but Me not Agreed. not overwhelmingly. Yeah. Okay. Number two, I miss having people around. Yes. No. Okay. I'm going to say yes, even though I have people around me all the time. I still feel that way sometimes. So, 
Um, number three, I often feel rejected. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it used to be yes, honestly. Like when I was maybe 10 years ago or eight years ago. But I would say no right now. I would say yes, because dating lately has been awful for me the last few months. Just to decide. <laughs> That's just how it is sometimes. I would say not often. So no. Not often. Okay. Um, number four, there are plenty of people I can rely on when I have problems. No. Yes. I'm going to say yes too. But I, I will, I will caveat that say that that is somewhat self-imposed. Interesting. Yeah. But that's good to be aware of. It's hard to ask for help sometimes. Um, number five, there are many people I can trust completely. No. Yes. I'm going to say yes. And number six, because of my family. Well, that's good. Yeah. Some, some of us have families that we're clo- we feel close to and some of us don't. Um, there, and number six, the last one, there are enough people I feel close to. I'm going to say no, even though I have a lot of people I feel close to. It doesn't feel like enough. Yeah, I would say no. Crap. I didn't do too well on yes. that. Really weird. I, I, I swear I expected to come into this and have all the answers like lean toward loneliness, but I really do feel like there's a lot of people. Weird. It's, I think if I took this test five years ago, maybe the complete opposite. Well, five, it's, five, six years ago. Yeah, and I think we go through seasons of our lives that feel more lonely than others. And I did pretty well on this test. I think overall, um, like I feel like I have a really, a lot of people that I can connect with, but I still feel the experience of lonely. So I think I probably are, am on the emo, um, emotional loneliness side yeah. rather than the social isolation side. So it's interesting, right? That is interesting. I, I like tools like that. I like tools that are like simple. Maybe they simplify stuff a little bit too much, but at least they help us and give us language to start talking about how we're feeling. I love that. There needs to be more of that stuff out there. Yeah. And there are these great tools. So we'll put this on the show notes. Um, but I, I do want to say too, that I think besides your age and your gender and different sort of demographic information about you, uh, I do think that there is some personality bent toward being more lonely. Like I have a melancholic creative personality. I just am more, I'm more prone to, exp- to feel the eggs. Yay. Of the I world. love, I I'm know. so glad you said that because <laughs> I am the same way. I have a melancholic personality. And that's actually something that my wife and I've been talking about a lot lately. So then it's people, like, it's like, it's like, you know, you, you don't, you're, you're not happy. And it's like, it's not that I'm not happy. It's that like, that's a, I, I guess it's a part of my personality to be a certain way. Um, there's a YouTube video on uh, feeling melancholy. That's really good. And I love it. We'll post it in the show notes. But like, that's where I got that whole the good life is not immune for, from loneliness or sadness thing is that. Yeah, I like, like that. There's an element of melancholy that is good for us. It, it's like a um, it's a rational response to the fact that the world is not a perfect place, that it's hard to live connected and well with each other, that sometimes it's hard like when we lose other people. So sometimes melancholy is a good thing um, and also, as opposed to depression. I think there's a two very different things. And we've yeah. And sometimes when we try to run away from melancholy, it catches up to us in the form of depression. Yes, we're not, yes. we're not recognizing that we as humans are privy to a full range of emotion. And if we're only like comfortable living in a certain range of it, we're going to like shove everything else downward. So yeah, I, I, I love that sense. You said, we as humans are privy to a whole range of emotion. I like you are entitled to be a paradox because you're a human. You are entitled to feel different things at the same time to not know exactly what to do. That needs to be said over and over. Yeah. For all of us. 
And then if you're a more self-sufficient, like maybe action-oriented person, you might be less prone to feel loneliness. Because I do know people who are really introverted and they, they express that they're incredibly comfortable being alone a lot and they like it. And I never would yeah. want to second guess that. Well, that's not loneliness. That's just being alone. I think there's a difference between there's a huge difference and like being refreshed by being alone. That's yeah, that's a good a distinction. Yeah, I think that's yeah. an important one to make. Alone is not lonely. That's very. Yeah. They're two different things. But you know what's interesting in this reading that I was doing for this episode that you're more likely to be lonely if your friends are lonely. So it made me think about loneliness as like kind of a an illness that gets spread amongst people that maybe we yeah. forget how to connect with each other, or uh, or that we're not connecting with. Like a lot of people who are talking to each other and being around each other that are like perpetually lonely, like maybe don't haven't developed the skills to be intimate and vulnerable with each other. And therefore they're going to kind of bring each other down and into more loneliness. Weird. Isn't that weird? It's It's true though. Like there, there are societies that are more lonely than others because they're more maybe individualistic. They have certain technological factors and societal factors that disconnect them from other people and prevent intimacy, like social taboos that prevent intimacy like uh, I hung out with a friend when I was in high school who was from Yemen and he used to talk with me. And when we, <laughs> I was like a high school senior and he would sit like knee to knee with me, our knees would be touching and he'd put his hand on my leg when he spoke with me. And I was super uncomfortable. I was like, don't you realize there needs to be like 40 feet of space between us. We have to like, <laughs> you know, not look too deeply in each other's eyes. And then I realized like there are certain social conditionings that probably increase our loneliness. And so if you talk about it as a disease, is like society is built by like ways of doing things that spreads out, right? From I don't want to say it's a disease. Well, I think it's I think it's anything that we're feeling on the inside, whether we see it or not, manifests itself on the outside. So for instance, and, and I don't think we always recognize it. So like when I was when I was doing youth ministry and we'd go on a camp, we would always have not to like categorize anyone, but we had, you know, we had types of students, students that were were troubled or dealing with the depression or had a, a lot of stuff going on in their life. And almost without a doubt, when we'd go to a camp, there'd be hundreds of, of students around, but they like in, in the midst of this haystack, they found the needle of the person that was just like them. Like for, like for some reason they just found their, their likeness and the, the people that kind of perpetuated the negative things in their life. And I, it, I wonder if it's just this, I don't want to say sixth sense or unknown sense that we we pick up on those things without realizing it because it gives us some, which is a little bit ironic, is that loneliness is communal in, in the sense that, you know, you have, you can kind of sense or you're drawn to people who are in a similar state as you are. Yeah, that goes back to family systems theory, right? Um, like we were talking about last week, like we we kind of seek out the normal that we're used to, whether it's healthy or not, because... You know, and and I can just say for myself, like I have a melancholic bent and it feels normal for me to feel a little bit lonely and and kind of emotionally like it, angsty, you know, and I've I think I've kind of it, it, there can be a way when you take that into your personality and that becomes normal for you. And so to think about yourself feeling healthy and fulfilled feels almost like you're losing a part of you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that feels da- that feels threatening. So Our I tend to vote on depression. That was actually what came up. The person who came mm-hmm. on and spoke with us, Dylan, talked about how losing your depression feels like losing yourself. Like <laughs> taking steps to move out of it can feel very threatening because you don't know who you are necessarily apart from it. Yeah. That's that's pretty interesting. 
So maybe that's why we resist intimacy sometimes is we feel like we're going to lose part of ourselves because that's loneliness is, is like a passenger that we have with us that we've kept and we like know and are familiar with it. And losing that is scary. That's interesting. Yeah. What do you, th- what do you think about um, how it interfa- interfaces with, with our faith? Um, I mentioned that briefly earlier, but if reli- like in my religion, religion for me is intimacy with the divine intimacy with God, like that's and with each other. And so when there's loneliness between people and maybe loneliness between us and God, like how do we resist the urge to say loneliness is wrong? Like if human beings are, um, are a part of creation, God created the whole universe or whatever. And God wants to be intimate with human beings and us not being intimate with God. There's there being something that is preventing us from approaching God with this intent on being intimate. Like, how do you look at loneliness as not being bad? You know what I mean? Like, because loneliness is not, we're, we're saying it's not wrong. It's not like a sin. It's not, you know, all these other things. It's just a part of the human condition. But it's but, kind of antithetical to human flourishing. So I think you could say just the, yeah. the experience of loneliness is feeling bad probably is bad for us. Because, I mean, looking back at all those health, those negative health effects of mm-hmm. it, um, it does slide us into a place of being dysfunctional. And actually, you know, I have friends who've told me, you know, cause I, for me, it helps talking about loneliness to feel less lonely. But so I've been getting in these conversations lately and I have friends who tell me they're so lonely that it feels physically paralyzing, physically paralyzing. Yeah. And it, almost like it's hard to even stand up straight or it's hard to get out of bed or it's hard yeah. to function as a, you know, so I, I don't think that's what God wants for us, but it's really interesting, Alan, that your theological um, structure is really like toward intimacy with the divine and others. And for me, I think I think of it as a religion as being a place of loneliness in particular. And that's probably why I veered away from it because I felt like a lot of my interactions in religious spaces have been, have not felt very connected. They felt superficial. Yeah. And yeah. I also don't, I don't really have a concept of God where I think we've talked about this in the past. So this is cool that we're getting to see some diversity in like faith sort of concepts. I have a personal, well, I have well, a personal picture of God and yours is less of like a person and more of a ground of being kind of thing. Right. Well, yeah, I think like my, my understanding of the divine inspires me to be more present in reality, more present with other people, but I don't go out and seek intimacy with God directly, if that makes sense. So for me, it's not like I'm doing faith wrong. I think it's more like I'm not seeing people's full humanity and letting them see mine when I feel disconnected. Yeah. So, th- but those are both and, valid ways to approach faith. Okay. So people who approach faith the way that I do, they're like, God is a person. We have a relationship, uh, an interpersonal relationship between me and God. It's tough sometimes when you're dealing with loneliness with other people to not have that spill over into my relationship with God. Like if I'm used to rejection or used to being lonely, like that sometimes affects how I look at God and how God and I interact. But it's, I would never want to say to a congregation, like you're supposed to, you know, never feel lonely and you're supposed to connect with God. And you guys come from a charismatic background. I don't necessarily. Wasn't there a pressure always to feel super connected to God all the time? Like oh, yeah. You have to be at the highest of highs constantly. And like, I, I'm trying to find a way to not be like that. But at the same time, affirm that there is a goodness in intimacy with God. Yeah, but I don't think you can isolate that from intimacy with other people. I think it goes together, even if you believe that, right? That's exactly what you're saying, is that your your relationships 
affect how you feel about God. So to, to me to have that separation of it, like for someone to say from the pulpit, you know, if you feel, or this is what I heard a lot growing up is come like in regards to self-esteem, you know, you don't need self-esteem. You need Christ esteem. Like there's this, you know, this, this sense that you, all you needed was your relationship with God and everything else was a bonus. But I think it's, it's, it, there's a fundamental flaw in separating your relationship with people and your relationship with God. Like, no, all you don't need is God. But if you're, if you're presenting a very narrow theology and view and saying, this is the only way to approach this, then you are, you are including and isolating at the same time. You're including and making someone who agrees with you a part of that system and anyone who disagrees with you or doesn't even necessarily disagrees with you but isn't sure yet whether they agree with you, then you're, you're isolating and you're creating loneliness in that. Um, so when we gather together, for me, that was the most, like, when I think of isolation, I think most of my experience in church because I, there was a lot of times where I just didn't agree or I was struggling or I was doubting and I felt like, from my leadership, I'm hearing this definitive, absolute, this is what it is. This is how you interact. This is how you should feel. It, it was hard not to feel like, man, then there must be something wrong with me. There must be something that I'm missing or not experiencing. And I think that that creates, that's difficult. It, it creates a narrowness that, that leads towards more people feeling lonely. Yeah. That's interesting. I can relate to that. Um, saying you only need God, like... Those people would say you only need God from the pulpit, but they wouldn't tell someone to stop eating, right? Because they only need God. They don't need food. They'd be like, okay, you're taking that out of context. But sometimes what we say when it comes to relationships is you only need God to feel fulfilled, to have like meaningful connection and intimacy. Having that connection between eating and relationships, I think is really good, Mona, that that you talked about. You need other people. We need other people. It's like to survive, to be like healthy, fully formed human beings is we are social creatures. We're born into a community and recognizing that is not weakness. It's not sin. It's not admitting that God isn't enough or anything like that. That's, that's wrongheaded, I think. Yeah. And and it is interesting how culturally conditioned this is that some of our listeners who might not come from maybe a, a stereotypical like white American experience and they're like their communities are really close knit or their cultural identity is really close knit. They might be listening to this episode and be like, what the hell are these people talking about? <laughs> that how could you eat? Why do you even have to say that you, that people need other people? That sounds ridiculous. But a lot of us have internalized this idea. That's really, really dangerous to our health. Not, a, not to mention our spirituality and all these other things, you know? But I mean, the bottom line is that it's, it's about people, like it's about community. It's about accepting and opening up and realizing that everything we say is a two way street. So too many times we assume what we say and what we mean are the exact same things to everyone else around us. So if we say something and we, we know, and we have a clear picture of what we mean and someone doesn't take it the way we mean our, our default is to say, well, that's not what I meant and stop there and not be like, oh, how could I have worded that better to to communicate what I meant? A lot of times our communication is what creates loneliness in others and even ourselves sometimes because we don't learn how to communicate how we're feeling. Yeah. So I wanted to, maybe we could talk about two, two things. First, what you can do if you're lonely. And second, what you can do to help those around you who are lonely. Yeah. Does that sound like a good plan? I think that's a good way to close. Yeah. Okay. So I found a great article that talks about mistakes lonely people often make. And this rang so true for me in so many ways. So I found it helpful. 
Um, there were six things that they talked about. First, lonely people hide. So stop hiding is the first thing. Start talking about this. Start coming out into the open. Stop considering talking about loneliness a taboo. Um, second of all, stop distracting yourself with all of this crap that we often distract ourselves with, whether that's food or TV or social media, like stop thinking that doing that is going to solve the problem of being lonely because clearly it's not helping you. So stop doing that and try to create other patterns. Um, three, being comfortable in a rut. Of course, we talked about this earlier. Um, you know, a lot of times we think of that this is that it becomes a place of comfort to be lonely and we want to keep being lonely because it feels like part of us. Um, but maybe using our imaginations to stretch into different ways of being and like finding different identities besides what we've known. Um, and the, the last three I found exceptionally helpful. First, um, number four, stop expecting others to take initiation, um, to take an initiative in hanging out with you, like go out and find people go out and ask someone to coffee, like just go do it and don't sit around moping that no one's asked you to hang out, go make the first move. And if that person doesn't respond, then find someone else. Um, number five, uh, don't think that you have to be likable and interesting all the time to be worthy of friends. This is really hard for me in particular. Um, going back to experiences, even of my own growing up where I had some critical people in my life that should have been there for me and they weren't. And so I feel this constant pressure to be interesting enough to win affection and attention. That's not true. Find people who are willing to be with you in the mundane times and the mundane parts of yourself. And then finally, um, a lot of people who experience regular loneliness, they actually develop a, a distaste for being around people. And a lot of times it springs from a perfectionism or a sort of snobbiness that they don't want to be around people unless those people are interesting. And, you know, it, it, I don't know, it's like a kind of sexy, like, um, not, not dating wise, but just like it's it's a illustrative sort of friendship. So like, like you're a waste of my time unless... Unless you're I value you more than myself, right? you're interesting or important, or you can get me somewhere, or you know, like we 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 have to stop being picky as much or for some of us, you know, and say, you know what, the person who's willing to be your friend is a good friend, you know. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like we have to get away from this idea of like social utility and that people are only as valuable as like what they can contribute to the economy or to our person or self-worth like it it just focus on actually connecting with people looking them in the eye and being present with them and stop thinking about all the other stuff that that we put pressure on ourselves to think about that was exceptionally helpful for me <laughs> those are great and, and if you're um if you're anxious because you don't know if someone's giving you that grape and you want more and you don't know if they have more and you're worried and you value, like you feel lonely because you value other people. And for some reason, you just can't connect with them. Like lean into that. Human beings are amazing. Other people are amazing. Your need for other people is perfectly rational. It makes sense. There is nothing in the universe that we've discovered so far that is as complex as human beings, human DNA. Like we are, we are special and your need for other people is good. And so like if there are people in your life that don't need you in return, like, let them be like that. You know what I mean? Let, say that's okay. It's okay that you're feeling you need other human beings and it's okay that they don't need you at that moment. And like, just allow yourself to connect with people where they're at, however you can. Um, I don't know. 
No, just, that's really good. Yeah, don't be hard on yourself. Like, so, yeah, <laughs> your loneliness think, is is real and it makes sense. Yeah, we get lost in our own head and our own experience of loneliness, and we we forget how to see other people as much as we want to be seen. And so, just like you said, Alan, like being amazed by other people. Like, remember that other people are interesting and fascinating. Their their ideas are interesting and fascinating. Like, look in their eyes and listen to them. And be curious. Be curious. Yeah. Well, I have. Nothing to add. Those are all <laughs> fantastic points. And uh, as soon as we finish recording here, I'm going to go distract myself and avoid self-reflection. <laughs> <laughs> and forget this whole conversation. That's Just right. Uh, yeah. um, but th- th- obviously, there, there's a lot to go through. And I think those are all really good things, uh, especially, Mona, that list that you put out there. I think that's those are good things to reflect on. And I think things we don't think about in terms of how we interact and how we is- how we interact with people or how we isolate ourselves. So. Um, let us know what you think in the show notes at iranacast.com slash 40. You can comment on this particular conversation. And if you have any other comments in general for the show, you can always contact us at the feedback page at iranacast.com slash feedback. So on the other side of the music, we are going to be doing our first ever round of Mind Meld. So this is called Mind Meld, and this is something that actually <laughs> Mona and Alan mind melded on in coming up with this idea. So I'm going to let one of you two explain it because I'm 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 in the midst of a learning curve. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Alan. <laughs> the object of the game is to say the same word at the same time, just spur of the moment. You look at each other. You look deeply into each other's eyes. No, we can't do that. Wait, wait, wait. I know, but we're going to try over the the wires of the internet. Okay. Because the internet helps intimacy, right? We just established that. Um, (laughs) We are going to connect brain to brain and form psychic neurons and say the same word at the same time. That's the goal. Psychic neurons is not a real thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and, And so basically you'll say two words and then you take the two words that were just said and you're going to try to arrive at a third. For instance, if you said, um, you said this earlier, oh, desk and coffee mug. And one person said desk, one person said coffee mug. Their next word they might both say would be like tea. coaster or, or tea. Yeah, yeah, something that has to do with those two things. But sometimes you don't have a connection between those two words. So you just say something that's related to them. So it's you basically try to find a logical closer. thread. Yeah. Yes. All right, so let's let's put a limit on this since it could go long. So let's say no more than ten words, or is that too seven much? Is seven is the perfect number. Seven. Okay, okay. Let's seven, seven is the biblical number. Let, right? let, let's keep it godly. <laughs> One is the loneliest number. That's true. Hey, that's about our episode. <laughs> wow. All right, so let's. I'm going to let you okay, two do the first round. All right. Ready? Are we going to pair up like that? Is that how we're going to do it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go for okay, it. Ready? All right. I'm ready. One, two, three. Blood. Bear. Bear. Bear and blood. Okay. One, two, three. Paw. Rug. Oh. <laughs> Paw and rug. Rug. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay, ready? One. Two. <laughs> I'm not ready. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. One. One. Two. Three. Porridge. Fireplace, dang it! Wait, you almost did. I almost did. I promise you. Fireplace and porridge. Yeah. Okay. Okay. One, One, two, two, three. three. Microwave. Ah. In microwave. That's close. 
That's pretty uh, close. All right. Okay. Ready? One, two, two three. three. Lazy. <laughs> How many was that? Five? That's five. Yeah. Five. Oven know. and lazy? Oven and lazy. Okay. okay. I'm ready. One, two, three. Susan. Tin foil. <laughs> Wait, what were those words? Susan tinfoil. Like lazy Susan tinfoil. Okay, so this yeah. is your last well, one. When you're lazy, you know, cooking and you're lazy, you don't want to clean any dishes, you just put some tinfoil. Yeah, no, that was great. I know. We okay. went in different tin, directions. Tinfoil and Susan. <laughs> you guys were like went we further it. away from each other. You were like so close and now But hey, hey, you and I are actually related, so let's like send okay. the DNA that's connected. <laughs> That's somehow. not how it works. Let's, let's Only sound goes through the I microphone, so, Alan, not DNA. Okay. I am so ready. I, okay. I now want to sabotage it just because you're trying so hard. Let's do it. Okay. One, One two, two, three. Homemaker. Three. Dang it. <laughs> I thought I was good at this. You know, if you order Peking duck at a Chinese restaurant and then they give you like this, the sculpt, the tinfoil sculpture of a duck. Oh, that's and right. maybe you were out like on a that. date with a woman named Susan. I like that. So it's it's a little ironic that we're putting a limit on the words because basically you failed to connect. We did. So we did. failed. That we're, was a missed connection. We're I will creating fail. a ser- scenario for loneliness right now. <laughs> we are. But the attempt. Yeah. No, but the attempt is the beauty of the process of not right. being lonely. It's not that you have to be perfect. It's that you try. It's the des- it's not the destination. It's, it's the, the journey. Journey. Thank you. All right. How about Thank you two? You too. No. <laughs> <laughs> Mind meld. We did it. We did it. We did it on the eighth one. Very nice. <laughs> we did it. No, you two go. Go for it. Jeff, do you yeah. got the hang of it? Okay. I think so. But if I don't, then it'll just be more entertaining, right? Brother-in-law to brother-in-law. Let's do this. All right. So, Okay. Wait. What if, because I, when I was listening to, to your the round that you two had, you got to a place where I feel like when you got to rug and fireplace, you could have gone back to bear. Like, can you say the same word twice? Uh, no. no, you have to say a different no. different word. word. Okay, that's good. That's a good clarification. All right. Okay. <laughs> I think ready? I'm ready. Okay. One, two, three. Scissors. Cheese, <laughs> cheese and scissors. You cut the cheese. We got this. We got this, <laughs> Jeff. You ready? Uh, okay. Wait. So it has to be a word, not a phrase, right? So cut the word. cheese wouldn't work. work. Okay. Just no. Word. Okay. Um, think about it. Man. Well, it, we don't think alike. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. We don't. I'm going to think like you. I'm thinking like you. Let's do this. One, two, three. Countertop. Ah! <laughs> we had it. Yes. We had Wait, it. what did you say? Fart. Fart. He's like cutting the cheese. Oh, I actually made okay. a poop reference. I know. I, that's a little bit ironic. I, that I you said went. I was going to step outside of myself for you a moment. You certainly okay. did. You went with the... You went with the juvenile joke about poop and bodily functions, and I went with the culinary response. Wait, <laughs> so we have to come up. Yeah, we have to come up with art okay. and countertop. Oh somehow. man, that's a hard one. Oh wow, that is. <laughs> okay. okay, go ahead. Okay, three, two, one. Thanksgiving. <laughs> Thanksgiving beans. Hmm. Okay. okay, ready. Three, two. One side stuffing. dish. <gasps> oh, oh wait, what, cool. wait, what'd you say? I said side dish. Stuffing, <laughs> stuffing and what? Side, side dish. dish. Like, side dish. Like a and side. Stuffing. Okay. And stuffing. Okay. That's like that's really close. That's like the same thing. All right. It's very close. You ready? Oh man. Okay. Three, two, one. Bread. Turkey. 
<laughs> Turkey is not a side Turkey dish. Turkey and bread. Here we go. You ready, Jeff? I think we got this, man. Okay, I think so. <laughs> Three, two, one. Butter. Sandwich. No, yes, yes. <laughs> Turkey and bread. Uh, Did you say butter? I didn't say butter. Butterball turkey. Butterball turkey. Oh, and you butter your bread. Okay, I just... Uh, butter and sandwich. Okay. Man. See, I was thinking about preparing food, and you were thinking about eating food. I was putting bread and turkey together, and what do you yeah, get? Yeah, you guys have one more. Literally right? a sandwich. I think you this is the last one. I, lo- I lost track. This is the last Wait, one. Wait, so what are the so two? Bread, uh, sandwich, butter, and butter? Sandwich and butter, man. Okay. Three, two, one. Grilled sheets. It's all food. <laughs> sandwich is the same. Like I, I would have gone with a specific sandwich, but you... You said you the same thing down. twice, right? I don't what? know. Well, you we were close. Toast. You could have said toaster panini. That would have worked. I could have oh, said yeah. toaster panini. I could have said croak. I could have said... Listen, you I, know, there's really no right or wrong there here. There is no right or wrong. You can't I feel like, though... Unless you say turkey and bread and the other person doesn't say sandwich, then you can get kind of angry. If right? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> if we're going to qualify, though, I feel like most of our pairings were really close. They were like right... Right there. They were pretty close. Like, we didn't yeah. end up with, like, Lazy and some random name. Whenever we played this in youth group, it always ended up at Jesus. I think there was some pressure there. I don't know. <laughs> All right. All right. Here so nobody's won so Jeff. far, but we're no, trying. Okay. That's you guys got point. this. You guys right. are getting mind meld right now. All right. Wait, is this the right. final pairing, or is there a pairing that we this haven't done it. yet? This is it. This is, you yeah. Can... We'll see oh, if we no. can get it under seven, and then so we'll take win. take a second. Take a breath. And Alan will lose. Connect. Send the word in your mind across across the wires and say okay, okay. all right all right one two three penny. glasses ooh penny and glasses okay mm. uh okay are you ready yes one two three circle. charlie brown oh charlie brown and what circle 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 is would have been better. That's a great one. Charlie Brown. Circle. Circle. Mm. I shouldn't have gone with a specific character. I should have stayed with the with the generalized. I don't get the the connection between glasses and a penny. Charlie Brown. Don't say anything. Wait, no, isn't penny? You can't talk it out. Yeah, you can. Sure, you can. Here we go. You ready? That's true. There was a character named Penny from Charlie Brown has glasses. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Charlie Brown and Circle. Uh, okay. I don't, I don't know. I have no ideas. Um, Ready? I'm going to count down. Okay. Three, two, one. Head. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Head and Abraham Lincoln. Oh, okay. Man. So we could just go back Long to Penny guys. right now. <laughs> I know, but you can't. So come on, guys. Um. I'm going to count down from three. Okay. You got this. All right. You got this. We're all three thinking the same thing right now. I hope so. I, I hope it. so. Three, okay, two, one. President. Washington, D.C. Okay. I was thinking top hat, but <laughs> I'm not playing. <laughs> See how I right, answered myself. We did president of Washington, D.C. Okay. I think we got this, Jeff. Are you ready? Yes. One, two, three. White House. White House. Yes. yes. Yay. Oh, my gosh. Uh, oh my god that how, was great how many I mean, was that in i think five that's pretty damn good yeah that is good five five, five is like the yeah 
That's the gold standard for this game. It is, yeah. And it's your first time playing, Jeff. Great job. Go team. All right. Well, that was that was good. I think that's that's one we can we can bring back. I think I yeah. I felt pretty comfortable with that one. Not yeah, that not that it matters whether I feel comfortable. Now that you feel comfortable, we'll bring it back. Maybe so. that's the reason not to bring it back because <laughs> listen, I needed something to make me feel comfortable after that loneliness conversation. Uh, I have a lot uh, to think about. I feel better now. Me too. I know. I need to talk to my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need a therapist anymore. You have Irenacast. Oh, wow. you should not say that over the internet. Yeah, I don't want to be liable for that. <laughs> In any way, we are not psychologists. We're you need help. We can't give, give you help. We cannot we can help give you. you. We can give you digital friendship. So, yeah. like, we, we can send our psychic <laughs> DNA through the airwaves. In the yes. words of Alan, post something on our Facebook page, and we will like it, and you'll be our friends. Forever. Yeah, actually, maybe that should be the challenge this week. Everyone who is lonely, raise your hand. You have to say it publicly. You have to come out and say it. No. You don't have to do it, but we encourage you. I'll do it. I'll be like, hey, guys, this is Mona, and I am lonely. And everyone will be like, hi, Mona. <laughs> well, I think that'll do it for us this week. If you want to support the show and you like what you hear, you can go to Stitch, iTunes and Stitcher to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, we really appreciate your ratings and reviews. Also, if you have any questions or feedback in general for the show, go to iranicast.com slash feedback. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. And I'm Alan. Thanks for joining the conversation. <laughs>